This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 429 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. This is a special bonus episode where I go off the horsey script and just interview someone I find fascinating. And we have a special treat for you today as I chat with Mighty Blue, who at the age of 61, overweight and out of shape, hiked the Appalachian Trail, all 2,400 miles of it. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Liftoff. Welcome to Glenn's non-horse special episode of Stable Scoop. Glenn has been talking horses for years. These special non-horse episodes will cover things that are, well, not horsey. Give it a try. It might be fun. Well, you made it this far and didn't turn me off yet, so I'm assuming you want to hear today's show. I've been talking horses for over eight years, and I'm still a horse husband who has interests in other things. So occasionally when the mood strikes, I'm going to do a special episode of Stable Scoop. They're non horsey and where I can chat with people I find fascinating. Today, I have one such person. His name is Steve Adams. His trail name is Mighty Blue. And at the age of 61, he was overweight, he was out of shape, and he decided to hike the Appalachian Trail, all 2,400 miles of it. He wrote a couple of books about the experience and then recently started a podcast, which is how I came across him. By the way, it's now one of my most looked forward to podcasts every week. It's called The Mighty Blue and the Appalachian Trail, The Ultimate Midlife Crisis. I reached out to Steve after I listened to the first episode, and we've been chatting ever since. So I asked him if he would be the first one to come on to my special non-horsey episodes, and he kindly said yes. So let's take a listen to my conversation with Steve Adams. Hi, Steve. Welcome to my welcome to the first episode of my break away from the horse world. <laughs> well, I'm certainly a break away from the horse world, Glenn, so hi. You don't know much about horses, I assume? I've bet on them, I've lost money on them, and I've watched them, but uh, so I yeah, know well, nothing Well, that's what most horses. people have done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Lost money up on at, them. That's what most of us do that even own horses. We lose money. Exactly. Up at Tampa, up at Tampa Bay Downs, which I really enjoy going to. Well, now, we're going to talk uh, a lot about your trip on the Appalachian Trail. It was one of those things I've always had in the back of my mind for years until I had that thing called Lyme disease, which the listeners yes. know I, I have a chronic version of. And, uh, you know, ticks just scare me to death now. Yes. Um, but let's talk first. How did you end up in the United States? Obviously, you have a British accent. Yeah, I tried to say I live in Alabama. I was born in Alabama, but it never really works. Um, I came over to the U.S. in 2005. I was in the insurance business and uh, got the chance to be uh, quite a senior position in New York City. So I took it up and came across here. And my all my British friends think I sound American right now, which is kind of kind of weird. No, I know I don't really. <laughs> and then I met and married my wife and moved down to Florida in 2008. And here I'm going to stay. I'm now a U.S. citizen. We both were in the insurance business. I got out after about 18 years, just kind of burned out of it. Now, you were in for longer than that, though, right? Yeah, I was a bit of a lifer. I uh, joined uh, from straight from school in 1971, and I was in the reinsurance business, which is insurance of insurance companies, mm -hmm. which is much, much easier because when you... Because you're not <laughs> making house calls every night of the week. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not dealing with the public either. And th their expectation was, I found, quite tricky. 
with reinsurance executives, at least I understand what you're talking about. And I found that much, uh, much more fun, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can see that. Now, were you, did you have to be licensed like, like I did? <laughs> no, no, you don't actually. Reinsurance just gets away with everything. Geez, I picked the wrong part of the insurance world. Oh, man, I was you out did. <laughs> before cell phones, driving around trying to find people's farms in the middle of the night, you know, yeah, uh, going yeah. back to town to find a payphone to call because I was lost. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize that. The, the last four or five years of my business life were on on the homeowners insurance and the auto insurance side. And that was tough. It was much tougher than any part of reinsurance that I ever did. <laughs> Well, we're both uh, out of that now, and you got out of it and decided that insurance wasn't hard enough. You'd take a little walk. Yeah, it, I actually, one precipitated the other. I, I decided, my wife and I decided to sell our insurance agency in 2013 because we had an offer for it. That always helps. And um, I'd always wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. I was coming up, I was 61, in fact. And so, as with everything in life, when it when the time's right, it works. And so I decided to hike the trail, knew nothing about it other than what I'd read in a few books and set about, you know, getting all the gear together. And that um, culminated to me being at the top of Springer Mountain in Georgia in, on March the 22nd with absolutely no, no idea what I was meant to be doing. Of course, and you know, so, I'm thinking about the movie uh, with the two old guys um, trying to remember what it was called. Yeah, Walk, was in called? The, Walk in the Woods. Walk in yeah. the Woods, yes. Yeah, that was a disappointing film. I loved the book, and that was really my inspiration and where I first oh, heard it? about the truck. Oh, yeah, I read, read that. In, I but used to you read would Bill think, Bison Steve, that you would have read that and thought, maybe I should do a hike or two ahead of time to get in shape and prepared for this. No, no, not at all. My, <laughs> my, uh, my brother Mike referred to it as taking out boxing and fighting Mike Tyson in my first belt. Exactly. <laughs> so you really had hadn't hiked for a week and practiced with anything. You just went out there cold. But I, I literally I wore my I wore my boots in. But I, I live in Florida, so with, you know a total eleva- elevation gain of about forty feet, <laughs> especially where you live. <laughs> yeah, exa- oh, exactly, exactly that. So you know, and I was at, at a low elevation anyway. And the Appalachian Trail, amazingly, has the total elevation gain of sixteen times Mount Everest. So you know, it's one of those things you just face every single day, just climbing up here. Yeah, you're pretty and much going up and down the whole the whole time, aren't you? Yeah, they call them puds, pointless ups and downs. Um, personally, I loved it. You know, the only reason you go down on the trail is to give you a, a darn huge up in about five minutes' time. And you are constantly going up and down. And you cross hundreds of mountains and um, you just get into a, a routine. And you get fascinated, actually, how the the body or the muscles in the body engage and then disengage depending upon the angle at which you're walking. And that was a very early recognition on my part that uh, it was all going to be over soon when I got to the top. <laughs> then I'd have pain on the other side on the way down. Was there, I mean, you talk in the book and the, especially the first couple of chapters about the beginning of your hike because you were out of shape, you were overweight um, and really not prepared for this in any way, shape or form. There, I mean, it had to be every day. Did you think this is going to be my last? No, never no. once. I never once thought that. Yeah. You know, I I was committed to do it. Um, I'm quite a determined guy once I commit myself to do things. I didn't know whether I could do it. And even worse, I didn't know whether I'd enjoy doing it. And um, I just kept going. You know, you you have to, every single day, you get up and you make food, you pack up and you move on and just have to walk. There there is no alternative. 
which when there are fewer options, it makes life so much simpler. Were you seeing, I mean, were there uh, stretches of the trail where you were, I mean, not seeing any civilization? Oh, yeah. And how long a stretch would that be? Would there be a week till you saw a road again? Oh, no. No, No, it wasn't that bad. The the only place where there was um, virtually no road crossings at all and certainly no traffic crossings was the 100-mile wilderness. And that was right at the end, just before Mount Katahdin. But roads cross the AT quite regularly. Um, so you can get off quite regularly. So I, I, it's one of the, you know, there is a certain wilderness act aspect to it, but you're often, you know, crossing roads quite regularly. And, it was, and it, it's easy to get into town. You, the local people um, will pick you up if you hitch a lift. And, and I found that just part of the trail life. We lived in Pennsylvania where the trail went through central Pennsylvania. Matter of fact, uh, we lived near a farm where it went through. So it was all farmland there in, in southern central Pennsylvania. Is that uh, near Boiling Springs? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, I loved it around there. I really did. Well, it's flatter. Very good. <laughs> yes, exactly. But they've been very. What they've done really well is relocate it and make sure they've that they've got certain farmers to agree for them to go through the bottom of their fields. And as long as the hikers stay on the track, which is rarely more than a foot, foot and a half wide, maybe two feet wide, then they're quite happy. And it, I found I found it beautiful wandering through fields. I mean, just how how glorious is that? So were, was there any time, you know, you started in Georgia and you went to Maine, which seems to be the way most people do it, right? Yeah, they do. They're, they're called Nobos, not Northbounders, and the Sobos, the Southbounders, they start, at, they have to climb up Mount Katahdin to start with, touch the sign at the top, and then they start on the way down. And, and they finish at the top of Springer Mountain in Georgia. And to me, going northbound was the only proper option because it started in March and I really, really desperately wanted that picture at the top of uh, Mount Katahdin. And actually where I'm sitting now, I'm looking at it right now and it always gives me a bit of a shiver when I see it. I was looking at that picture too. It looked chilly when you got there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'd had great weather for the previous two weeks. And then that particular day, as we were heading up, we knew the cloud was going to come down and about four, three or four miles, three miles from the top, we realized that the cloud was going to engulf us. And so the picture was sadly full of cloud, but none of it, nothing could have taken away from the joy of actually touching that sign and the relief that I felt when I did it. What were the surprises you had along the way, the things that you weren't expecting? I mean, I know you read a lot and there were things that you were expecting. What are the things you weren't expecting? The community of people. Um, the people uh, were uniformly kind uh, and I think part of it was the fact that if after, say, mile 843, you ended up in a shelter together, you both knew you'd had 843 miles worth of pain to get there. And so there was a mutual respect, and that, and that crossed all ages. And I really, really enjoyed that part of it. I wasn't frightened um, in my tent, and I kind of thought I would be. You know, you, yeah, you hear I was thinking that, bears and yeah, all that stuff, yeah, snakes. Well, I saw, I saw several. Yeah, snakes I never like. And I don't care how brave you think you are. Whenever a snake moves in front of you, you're going to jump every time. But the bears, you know, it was, it was an amazing thing. I was hiking through one morning quietly, and I suddenly heard this noise. I looked over to the right, and there was this shape in the tree at the top. So I got my camera out, my phone out, uh, to take a picture, and it started coming down. So I turned from photo to video, <laughs> prepared to start running as well, uh, and and I, I filmed the, the bear jump out of the trees, and it ran away. It was a big bear. It ran away. 
in the following 10 seconds, another three bears came out of the tree. Oh, they're, all, they're all babies. They, they all ran away as well. So I was very excited by that. And about 20 minutes later, I was kneeling down by a stream getting some water from a stream when suddenly another huge bear came out only 30 yards away from me down the trail. And he kind of looked in my general direction and wandered off the other way. And it was then that I realized they're the people who live there. We, we were the interlopers, really. And so they didn't want anything to do with us. And I realized that this is just a place where all you know, we're all living together. And the, I never found any worries about animals whatsoever. I assume you saw a bunch on the way, or less than you thought you would. Um, <laughs> the first about three hundred miles. I think I think my count was about six squirrels, and I can see more more than that wandering around my community yeah, here in outside my window right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There you go. Uh, that was kind of a shock, and I was surprised how few birds I heard in some in some of the forests as well. And that, and I still don't know why that particularly is. But then I saw bears. I saw snakes. I saw moose up in Maine, and that was actually it was in New Hampshire, and that was very exciting. The shelters have often got mice in them, um, so they are ubiquitous. So I've I, slept I, in I, caves it, before are. where they had pack rats were popular. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so we, pack rats, what you'd have to do if you slept in a cave is you had to have the sleeping bags that zip over your head oh. uh, and because they would crawl in the sleeping bag with you. Yeah, I wouldn't have liked that. <laughs> I would not like that one little bit, I'll tell you. <laughs> I have some practice, because I'm a geek, I have some geeky questions for you that you haven't answered yet in the in the part of the book I've heard. And right. that is like, how do you charge your cell phone? Because you had your phone along, you were taking pictures. How do you charge your cell phone? And you were carrying a, a, a uh, iPad too, weren't you? Yeah, I carry an iPad because it's funny actually, uh, Glenn, you, you get, um, you take responsibility almost to, once you start writing a blog, you have this. You feel this responsibility when people start reading it, and so you then want to write it more. And some of my blog posts are about three or four thousand words long, so I did need electricity. My wife had bought me a solar charger for Christmas previously, <laughs> along with a um, uh, a trowel for obvious reasons, uh, and so she bought me the solar charger so I could try to charge on the back of my pack. Unfortunately, you often walk through this what they call the green tunnel, so you often don't get a charge well, into your solar thinking. charger. Well, that's what I was You don't see the yeah. sun. <laughs> Yeah, but then yes, as I, you know, there are there are roads crossing the trail. You often go into either stay the night in a motel or just go into a pub or go into a, a Walmart or a, or a dollar dollar store to get cheap food. And you can all, you can often just stand there and wait for your phone to charge and then wander straight out again. And that was never a problem. So I, I rarely had a problem of, of not being out having any um, any power. I would often call my wife. Virtually every single night, I called my wife. Did you? What kind of phone did you bring? Did you bring an iP- uh, an iPhone, or did you bring an Android that you could change batteries out? No, I. I, I oh, it's interesting. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> no, why I, I buy Android phones, like the Samsung phones I have, because you can buy extra batteries. Like I have four batteries for mine, so I oh, could go a week with those four batteries. That's that's an interesting thing. Yeah. No, I I had an iPhone, um, and uh, it, it it worked fine. You know, I I I was had AT&T and everybody says to me that AT&T were hopeless, but I never had a problem calling my wife. It was often at the top of mountains. And in fact, one day I actually had a phone call from one of my um, former insurance clients who wanted a quote on a house. (laughs) Uh, uh, When I told her I was at the top of a mountain, she just couldn't believe it. (laughs) 
And in fact, I'm also a, um, I do some expert witness work for lawyers in London. So and I had a phone call from a, a lawyer in Chicago and he asked me to give an opinion on a case. So I said, well, I'm actually hiking the Appalachian Trail. So he said, well, could you still do it? I said, well, I can get off, but it's going to cost your client a lot of money. So I said, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Typical lawyer. So I went off and uh, sent him a check and uh, sent him a, a report and, and he uh, sent me a check, which is rather nice. Well, they're paid for the rest of your trip. <laughs> Not quite, but <laughs> nearly enough, though. So what about food? And one of the interesting things you say early on in your book is that how your taste changed. I, I think you go in thinking you're going to eat all of this certain kind of thing. But you, by the way, you all have to carry with you. Um, yeah. And then you, it changes. So how did how did that change? You well, firstly, you, you eat so darn much. You have to eat so darn much. And I, I didn't develop that hiker hunger at first, but once you get it, it never leaves you. Unfortunately, it didn't leave me after the trail for a couple of months either. <laughs> so I, so I put all that weight back on. But my wife would send me. We, my wife was very logistically minded, so she would work out roughly where I was going to be, or I would call her say I'll be in Glasgow, Glasgow, 60 miles away in four days' time. So she would send a package to the post office box. I would get into Glasgow, get the package. She would pack way more food than I ever really asked for. So in the end, I had to turn my dry clothes bag into a second food bag. Um, and I think if I ever did it again, I probably wouldn't get her to mail the food. I'd just go into towns and pick it up and go straight out again. That would be easier, I think, in many ways. And you, so how did your, how did it change your palate? Well, my, my palate uh, changed. Um, well, I, 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 because I lost so much weight, she started sending me along with the oatmeal. I, I, this would be an example of what I would eat. She would send me the oatmeal. And then because I was losing all this weight, I lost 40 pounds in the first five weeks. Which I she guess you me, could kind of expect. You were hiking every day. Yeah, 40 is <laughs> quite a bit though, yeah. Uh, I, I looked very skinny, Glenn, I tell you. Uh, and I eventually lost 65. Wow. Um, but uh, she sent me protein powder. And then she sent, because it tasted so dreadful, the protein yeah, powder. Yeah, it does. She I, then, I still yeah, use it. Oh, it yeah. tastes awful. <laughs> she then, she then sent, me, sent me some squeezy fruit. So I mixed all that up in the morning. I would eat that. Then I'd have five or six Snickers bars a day. I'd have uh, a wrap at lunchtime with uh, peanut butter on it or um, some salami uh, and um sun-dried tomatoes sometimes and some mayonnaise. Then in the evening, I'd have pasta or rice or sometimes how both. How are you keeping, like, the mayonnaise good? How are, how are you? Because you couldn't you didn't have a nice <laughs> chest. So, I mean. No, but you <laughs> – Publix, um, the supermarket people down here, um, offer them the delicatessen. So my wife would go and buy a sandwich and she'd get about 30 packs of this little little packs of mayonnaise. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that <laughs> seems to be uh, made out of something that's not even close to eggs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I suspect it had only a, a passing um, um, thought of eggs. So in, e in a given day, you'd have your candy bars, you'd have a wrap, uh, and oatmeal, you said, almost every day for breakfast, which yeah, I'd just yeah. shoot myself. Um, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and, and that was it? Well, no, sometimes, at some stage, I'd have, I say, I'd have pasta and rice in the evening, but sometimes I'd have, especially towards the end, I'd have an entire jar of peanut butter. That's about twenty five hundred calories. Wow. Um, yeah, you you just need it. There's there's Didn't that make and you thirsty. That's yes, I drank a lot of water. Yeah. Um, and and you really have to drink a lot of water. One 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 day, I remember I had nine liters of water in a day. Isn't that the, almost the heaviest thing you're carrying too? I it mean, is. Yeah. It is. Each liter of water is about two pounds. 
Because I know that so, people that pack out on horses um, and use pack horses, that's their, I mean, they have to carry, a lot of t- cases they're carrying water for the horses too. So that's always the heaviest part. Yeah, but I learned something. Uh, unfortunately, once I'd finished, which I wish I learned before, was that whenever you get to a stream, you should drink, you should filter a, a liter of water and drink it, then filter perhaps another liter of water and drink some of that or even all of it, and then filter the one liter you want to take with you. So at no stage did you really need to take more than a liter of water. And do you know what? I think that's a darn good idea. And how are you? Now, drink it? when you can. I hate to ask I, these neophyte well, questions, but <laughs> no, not at all. The, the, I, I bought a thing called an. I think it was an MVR. Um, I can't remember what it's called now, but it it sort of sucked the water out. It was a very arduous process, and you had to clean out the filter virtually every time you used it. Um, but I found that the um, the water filter of choice on the trail was a thing called a soya squeeze. And that was this little unit which you'd get water in a bottle. Um, and I'd, I got one of these smart water bottles, which works perfectly. You'd attach the soya squeeze onto the top of it and then literally squeeze the water bottle, the water through the soya squeeze into your, uh, your bottle, which is your container, which you were going to drink from. And it was perfect every time drinking. If you've hiked at all and you say, and uh, you, you said you had, it is beautiful stream water and it's cold and it's tasty. So you didn't have to use the, the tablets or anything? <clears throat> oh, no, I never yeah. used those at all. I know a lot of kids didn't even bother filtering any of their water at all. They just, you know, they were fine. Some, some of course, they got, um, got Giardia, which wasn't good for them. No, I was going to ask you about that because. Not all the streams are clean. <laughs> no. Do you know what, though, Glenn? You know, you're, you're either lucky enough to do this or you're not lucky enough to do it. Some people were fantastic hikers, and they just injured themselves, and they're going to be off the trail. I didn't get a single blister when I was away, not one. I, I never got sick. I cut myself incessantly. Uh, I fell over all the time, and I injured myself, but never badly enough to be off the trail. Um, you know, That what, could be our age, too, Steve. Uh Part of that. Well, I think our age would send us off the trail, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, I could have fallen badly a few times, but you know, I don't know. There appeared to be an almost, an ine- to me, it was almost inevitable that I was going to finish this. I never worried about not finishing it. Now, and you said that, speaking of finishing, uh, one of the statistics I heard, uh, I think it was Grizz talked about, that's one of your, the guys you met on the trail, that's yeah. in an interview in your podcast, which we'll talk about, um, and I really enjoyed him, uh, and, only, and not just because we have something really bad in common, uh, but Grizz mentioned that, what, uh, 50% drop out in the first 800 miles, was it, or even no, less than that? Less than 32 miles. What? <laughs> you get the 50% drop out before isn't that like two days three days uh it's about four three or four days you you normally start off with seven or eight miles and if and i don't know whether you know that the top of springer mountain there is an approach trail about seven or eight miles so to get that's where springer mountain's your start point yep and in georgia yes uh, the top of springer mountain is your start point so you have to go to amicalola falls and walk seven or seven or eight miles up to the top of the mountain before you start your trail and i i met somebody whose hiking partner had quit on the approach trail (laughs) which is amazing which is kind of minus miles in other words so it takes you about four days to get to um neil's gap could be three days and yeah, fifty percent quit because it just isn't for them. And I knew pretty much straight away, I was comfortable in my tent. I was comfortable. I could sleep in there. 
I was I was like a kid on an adventure. And until you've actually been out there, and because I, I never had, it was all new to me. I was learning on the way. I just found it an extraordinary adventure for a man at my age who was had a sedentary job all my life, and I was clinically obese, to suddenly find myself with all these young kids laughing and getting filthy. It's just awesome. <laughs> I think that's the thing that surprised me, too, about uh, uh, that you may start out with uh, changes of clothes, but by the time you're done, you got one pa- one set. Uh, and and you're wearing it for what three or four or five days? Uh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I was. Um, I, I it was terrible. I, I I would wear. I had two pairs of underpants, two t-shirts, and one pair of pants, which which could transform into shorts, and that was it. Oh, and one and two pairs of socks. And one night, I I actually forgot to take my hang my food outside because you, you can't go into your tent. You shouldn't be in your tent with your food. Bears smell it and bears want it. And if you're there, tough. So I got my when I realized I was in bed, I was snuggled snuggled up in bed. It was cold outside. It started to rain. I hadn't hung my food. So I thought, well, I'm just I just can't be bothered. And I wrapped my dirty socks around the uh, around the food bag. I thought, well, if a bear can smell that, it, it serves him right. You know? <laughs> they deserve it. I'll throw <laughs> it out to him. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> did you ever? Let's forget animals. Did you ever not feel safe on the trail, uh, as far as humans are concerned? No, no, no never. Uh, no stage. I, I would think one or two of the young women would or should have felt slightly more nervous. But, you know, if you've been on it at all or been anywhere hiking at all, there is a fraternity out there that just wants you to succeed. You really, I think you'll rarely go anywhere in life where so many people with whom you're sharing the stage are going to want you to succeed. And for me, this was somewhere that you just reveled in everybody's success. And I just, I just, it's a wonderful, wonderful place. It's never, ever left me. I, I just don't think it ever will. So we're about, and I'm almost your age. I got a few years yet to catch you. Uh, but um, <laughs> You're never going to catch, you know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> we're three times the age of some, most of those people you were out there hiking with. Did that matter to them or you, or did they treat you differently? No, but we definitely have a different hike. Some of these kids could, and it sounds terribly um, patronizing, it's not meant to, but some of these youngsters could, could go two, three, four, zero days. A zero day means when you literally don't hike at all, have zero miles. But then they do three or four days of four days. I couldn't do that. I had to be consistent in my hike um, and being being out there for, you know, when I, when I worked out when I wanted to finish, which was just before my wife's birthday so I could get home to celebrate her birthday, I needed a certain uh, number of miles per day. Unfortunately, I got injured because I got bitten by a dog and developed uh, cellulitis. I had to come home for about a week. So that changed my miles per day that I needed to do. So I rarely had a zero day, and I was averaging 12, 13 miles a day. But, you know, in the, in, the, in Virginia, for example, I was doing several 20-mile days and, and quite easily as well. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that as well. So they would take more days off, uh, partying, I assume. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of partying. There's a lot of uh, smoking dope, which is something that um, I have a slightly addictive personality. So it's probably it was probably as well that I didn't do that. But I was you know, I was offered joints every single night, I suspect. Um, and there was a chance to smoke dope or sometimes drink booze. But it was a thing I decided not to do. Surprisingly, I guess, um, because I've always been a drinker and I've always drunk every single day of my life, 
I one of my early concerns, more than animals, more than sleeping in the woods, was whether I could go three or four days without a drink. And do you know what? That was the easiest thing of all. Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I heard you talk about that uh, in, in in your book, and I thought you were brutally honest about that because you know th- because that could have gone the other way. Uh, yeah, yeah, it yeah. could have done. But you know, one, one thing you get when you get older. Um, and if you're a few years younger than me, you're still probably still going to find it out, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> One thing you get is um, you at least know yourself. Whether you accept yourself in some form or other is, is one thing. But I knew what I was like, and I had um, things about me which of which I wasn't at all proud. Um, but I, I was okay with it. You know, I, I came to terms with a lot of it. I I used to drink. Um, I used to wake up every single day with a hangover, and I I don't do that now. Um, and uh, and I, I did that because everybody I knew woke up every single day with a hangover, and I thought that was normal. But apparently it's, <laughs> apparently it's not normal. Uh, so I, I found myself quite easily adapting to that. And now when I'm home, I, I still drink a couple of glasses of wine every day. But on the trip, it was a slight concern that I could go four days without a drink, and I found it to be easy. So, You know, um, i got to ask you, because you were fairly newly married when you did this trip, what was her biggest concern? Other oh, than your uh, safety, the common one. Well, she's Puerto Rican, so everything's her biggest concern. <laughs> <laughs> and she won't mind me saying that because that is absolutely true. Uh, she just they do wouldn't. fret. <laughs> <laughs> no, do, they, do they just? Yeah, they totally fret, and they are. But she just was concerned about everything. You know, she didn't know what was going to happen. Like me, she had no idea what was going to happen. I saw it as an adventure. She saw it as something that was going to go wrong. Um, and I understand entirely why she would think that. And now I've been out there, I can even more understand why she would think that. Did she ever have a desire to go for a day or two with you to see what it was like? No, she came to visit me, um, and then we couldn't find each other. We got lost, uh, <laughs> which was a disaster, absolute oh, disaster. No. I was stuck at the top of a pass, and um, uh, that was just a terrible, well, how, well, terrible that, How did you navigate the trail? Is it that well marked, or or, or do you have maps? Oh, the, no, the trail was fine. No, the trail was fine. It was where it was supposed to be, and I was where I was supposed to be. But fog had rolled in. It turned out it was a cloud, but it looked like incredibly dense fog. It rolled in, and by, and she turned up not quite the same time as I was there, and I I, I was wandering uh, off to try to find. Just oh, it was just a me- it was a mess. Oh, yeah. it, was a, it was terrible. It was very traumatic for her. But we had a few days together, and then, as I say, I went home because I got injured, and then I got back on the trail, and I didn't see her again until I finished. How many people that start it do finish it? What percentage do the whole life? About twenty-five percent. And you said it's five million steps. <laughs> well, I'm doubting that. I think it's for me. It was more like eight million. Because <laughs> you only get up, the more steps. That's well, no, it's not that. It's just I was struggling so much going uphill that you know. <laughs> I, I was I was literally s- s- tr- just stepped one foot in front of the other just about, and those early days in Georgia were tough for me. You know, I was struggling to get my breath. I was carrying so much weight. My backpack was forty two pounds. I was two forty five, so I was nearly three hundred wow. pounds pulling myself uphill, and that's you know quite a burden on your heart. You know, I wasn't super fit at all, but I I'd, I had good breathing because I, I I cycled about fifty miles a week before I went on this trip. That was really my only preparation, but I've always cycled. So. It was interesting listening to Grizz, who also was a big guy when when he did the hikes. So, I, you know, I, you don't picture that, right? For people who are going to start out, you picture them, all these skinny hiker dudes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not like that. 
Now, I, w- I was actually surprised how many um, first-timers there were, people who, who had never hiked before, but just saw this as a fabulous adventure they wanted to get involved in, and and they did. And it was and it worked great for everybody. You know, for some people, if you can't do it, you can't do it. And if you, even more important, if you're not enjoying it, then you shouldn't be doing it. For me, I was just I was relishing it the whole time. There, there was not a time that I didn't enjoy myself on the, on the trail. Now, a lot of people say, and I've heard people say, you always think that you're doing this for the adventure, to see the scenery, and then some people say, all I was thinking about was, was looking down and putting one foot in front of the other. Do you see the scenery? Do some people not see it and some people do see it? Or well, it's, there, it's there if you want to see it. Ironically, I was just writing something this morning about that. But if if I did it again, I would probably take one or two of the detours. There, are, there every now and then there's a thing that there's a thing called a blue blaze. The whole trail is marked by these white blazes painted on rocks or on trees, and you can follow it pretty well. And every now and then there's a blue blaze, and the blue blaze is a detour. The detour is down to a shelter, and it's sometimes even half a mile or even a mile away from the main path. So. You have to think carefully about taking a mile detour down because you've got another mile t- detour back up the next morning. But sometimes there was a detour of three, four, five hundred yards to an overlook. So it w- would have been a fantastic view. I kind of wish I'd done a few more of those. And um, But I saw so many great views anyway. I, I didn't miss out. But what I did notice, for example, we went through the presidential range in New Hampshire and I missed it. Because there was there was fog there all the time. Oh, there was, was cloud, cloud there all the time. We've yeah. done the uh, Skyline Drive in Virginia and never seen a view yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I went through through that in beautiful weather, and that was spectacular. But funnily enough, the best views were to be had from the road. And the, <laughs> the funny thing was, you come out of the woods and you see these um, – what do you call them? We call them laybys in the UK. They were over, uh, overlooks. overlooks. Yeah. yeah, overlooks. That's yeah. right. And a car would cut, drive up. You'd see the the window come down. They stick their camera out the window, take a, take picture. a picture, and drive off. <laughs> and never look at the picture ever again. Almost certainly. Yep. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I would just sit there because they had these beautifully built rock walls. I'd sit there, have something to eat, and just embrace the look. You know, the view I was seeing was extraordinary in fact one of my my blog posts i I called beautiful wonderful marvelous extraordinary because i I ran out of superlatives so early on the trip i just had to keep revisiting them the whole time and i was kind of apologizing for using those same words all the time because i just didn't have the vocabulary to to tell people what it was like it was just your favorite state oh uh, new hampshire maine probably maine actually New Hampshire for the drama. I, you know, the, I was kind of giggling with excitement when I went above the tree line. It was like coming out, being on the moon somewhere. Because it, it goes over Mount Washington, doesn't it? It does, yes. 6,000 Which is just feet. crazy. It's like, couldn't they go on around it? <laughs> that, you know what? I thought that about um, Pennsylvania more than any other state. Really? They, they, they deliberately put you in a horrible position all the time and always over rocks. <laughs> It was extraordinarily unpleasant. Yeah, because I didn't you, enjoy you, well, you start in Pennsylvania in the south, which is pretty open and farmland and, you know, all of that through central Pennsylvania. And then you get to northern Pennsylvania, where it's just nothing but woods. Well, <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> the woods I don't mind. The rocks I could, couldn't stand. My biggest, my biggest surprise, actually, was New Jersey. And I, I thought, 
Because well, it just does the top corner, right? Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, it, we were there for about 80 or 90 miles, but, you know, you get some beautiful views up there. And I was, I'd only ever been to Newark. So let's yeah. face it, my comparison <laughs> wasn't great. You mean you were not almost mugged up in there in New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What was your least favorite state? Pennsylvania. You, oh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. 260 miles of rocks. Hated it. All of it. Um, but it had to be done. I enjoyed the climbing bit. Funny enough, when I say I hated it, it's not fair. I, there were some great climbs, hand over hand climbing, which reminded me as a kid of climbing in Wales in the UK with my brothers. I loved all that part of it. But it was so darn difficult with the rocks. And sometimes you were in this in this rock field, you see a slab of white paint about 100 yards ahead of you. You knew you had to traverse those rocks jumping from one to another um, for a hundred yards. And it was, it was tough, but you know, it's okay. I, I, I wouldn't change any, any of the uh, Appalachian trail. It, there was so much variety on it um, that all of it was great. Some of it was tougher than the others, but all of it was great. Hmm. So what would you, if you had it to do over again, what, what, what are the couple of things that you would absolutely change? I'd get up earlier. Yeah, you I said you the, were a slow riser. See, I'm a four o'clock uh, in the morning guy, so I think I'd be out there with the early birds. All right. Well, it, but also, I was useless at getting ready. Even if I got up before everybody else, I'd always be the last to leave, leave camp. It was ridiculous. I, I'd also adopt a thing called 10 by 12, which was such a great piece of advice. 10 by 12 means if you're average, if you want to average, say, 12, 15 miles in a day, try to get 10 miles done by 12 o'clock. Uh, and if you do that, you can then coast a little bit if you want to for the rest of the day, or you could really hit it hard and get to 20 miles. But 10 by 12 was a great way to look at it. And I, I, I'm very much, I, I need to have that in my mind to be, be, be able to adopt that. So I would certainly have done that, got up earlier, get started a bit. I don't, I think in retrospect, I probably wouldn't have got my wife to send me food. I would have taken far less stuff. Uh, when I came back home after my injury, my pack, which had been 42 pounds, suddenly became 35 pounds. I lost seven pounds of stuff I didn't need. And I doesn't that happen to most everybody pounds. who are first-timers? Apparently everybody, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because they, they think they need stuff. And one of the things you learn is that when you take your life on your back, then it benefits you not to have so much, and you'll find you don't need it anyway. I think it was Grizz in your last episode of the podcast that uh, said – one of the things he recommends, Hello? and it goes right along with what you said, is take the first couple of weeks and enjoy them. Don't don't push it so hard at the beginning. Take those first couple of weeks and don't kill yourself. Yes. And you know what? I, I thought he'd got off the trail um, and he, he carried on, but I didn't realize he was deliberately only going slowly. He, his That was his plan to do that. So... And when I looked at his, his spreadsheet, which he sent me recently and before we, I interviewed him, uh, I thought, that makes so much sense. I was, I was advised to do seven miles a day, which I did for quite a while. But uh, Grizz was doing sometimes three, four, five miles a day, and he was perfectly happy to do that, knowing that he could up his miles later on. And he did that. Unfortunately, of course, he then got caught by Lyme disease. 
So that's something, you know, obviously we have a lot of people listening that are horse people who uh, Lyme disease is a big deal for our horses and for ourselves. I have a lot of people in the audience who, like me, have chronic Lyme disease and have been battling it for a long time. And you, and your friend Grizz that you met on the way. And you all have nicknames on the trail. What was yours? <laughs> oh, dear. I feel as a, as a fat 64-year-old to tell you that I was mighty blue. Mighty blue. Is, and you yeah, have to listen o- to the podcast <laughs> to find out why. You have to go let's start from episode one. And what's the name of the podcast? Let's give a quick plug. Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail, the ultimate midlife crisis. And I'll tell you, everybody, why I'm having Steve on as my first guest for this non-horse episode is because it's my now my favorite podcast. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. You know I, I believe that. I just sent it in as my favorite podcast to the School of Podcasting for this year. You've got me hooked. I love the fact that you, you also wrote a book about – two books about hiking the trail, and I – you, you read a chapter at the end of each podcast. And by the way, that That's was right. a brilliant move because I'm dying to get to the end uh, <laughs> to hear the next chapter. And you're good at reading the books, too, obviously. Uh, you're a good reader for the books. And not everybody can do that. I can't. I'm a terrible reader when it comes to reading things like that. But you're really good at it. And because you lived it, that helps, too. Uh, I'm sure. And the emotion comes out. When you read the book. So, uh, so I, I think you're doing everything right with the podcast. Um, Thank you. And people can find that on iTunes and all over. And it, uh, give the name of the podcast real quick. The yeah, podcast is called Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail. Just search Mighty Blue. It's about the only one you're going to end up with. That's right. Search Mighty <laughs> Blue, go for the podcast. You're going to find it no problem at all. Yeah. yeah, and that's. I think I found you by accident. It was your cover art, I think, what I saw of you uh, on the rock. Uh, I saw your cover art, and that caught my attention as well, how I ended up listening to you in the first place. I'm glad you said that. I'm really glad you said that. No, I'm, it's true. I'm, I'm I think pleased it was with a, that. A cover art matter. People don't realize when they start podcasts that the cover art is probably one of the most important things you have and and when you see it on a podcast player or itunes it's tiny it's about 100 pixels by 100 pixels so they make this cover art with tiny writing that you can't read it so yours was bold it was perfect your cover art is just perfect a matter of fact i've used it as an example for cover art since then um and it's just it has everything it needs to have for for good podcast cover art we'll talk a little bit more about podcasting before we wrap uh so, so I think you're just doing everything right as far as far as that's concerned. And the books, by the way, if they're are they where can you, where can people get the books? Because they would make wonderful Christmas gifts. Well, they're on, they're on Amazon. They're they, they. I had to cut them down into two books. <laughs> I got my the first one is because I wrote 50, I wrote 150 thousand words. And frankly, I could have written 250 thousand words. I I really got into it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, and I, I thought in the end I'd break them down to two. First one is to when I get injured and come home, and the second one is the, the conclusion of the journey. So the, the first one starts the preparations, and the second one concludes the journey. And the first one's called My Appalachian Trial, T-R-I-A-L, not A-I-L, My Appalachian Trial 1, Three Weddings and a Sabbatical. Um, and the second one was My Appalachian Trial 2, Creaking Geezer, Hidden Flagon, which are kind of strange names for titles, but if you read the books, you'll understand why. And if anybody wants to see if they like the writing, you can get a free um, book on my author website, which is steveadams.info. You can just fill in your uh, name there and get an ebook called Hiking the Appalachian Trail is Easy, especially if you've never hiked before. Um, so I did that, and um, that appears to have been going quite well. <laughs> So that's, that's at steveadams.info? 
yeah, steveadams.info on the on the homepage. You just get that, and it will send you an email, um, and you will then click on that, take you to Book Funnel, which will give you send you your book, which is perfectly simple. I highly recommend. He's a good writer. I highly recommend one the podcast, two the books for anybody, especially if they're over forty years old and uh, they're like me. You'll enjoy this book because because it is a little bit about about. You're kind of our hero, you know, like I can still do this at our age, you know, and I mean, seriously, you really are. It kind of is inspiring knowing that life isn't over. <laughs> oh, certainly is not. Oh, my God. The so that, but that's true. I mean, it is really, truly it. I felt that way. So, oh, that's great. so that's I think really that great. you could do that. Now, this, I, have to, I have a couple of questions I have to ask you because this is our year of the listener here at the Horse Radio Network. And all year on Stable Scoop, on the show that this is going out on, we're interviewing nothing but listeners this year. So by the end of the year, we'll have interviewed 100 of our listeners. And it's been so much fun to get to know our listeners. And at the end of every interview, we're asking a couple of questions of all of them. So I'd love to ask you these questions and see what your answers are. Only I'm going to change them a little bit for, for you and for your hike. <clears throat> okay. Now, the first thing I want to ask you, and I'd be remiss if I didn't because it is a horse network. Did you see any trail riders along the way? I know they're not allowed on the trail, but did you bump into any trail riders? I saw one horse and I saw massive amounts of evidence <laughs> in <laughs> in Shenandoah National Park that horses had been there. Yeah, well, there's but a lot was, of trails through how, there. Yeah. yeah, there are. But I was surprised how few horses we actually saw. We saw just one horse. Or I saw just one horse. Oh, Okay. Let's, uh, that's the, we're called, we call these the rapid fire questions. So I'm going to alter them a little for, for you because of your hike. Your favorite food on the trip? Peanut butter by a million miles. Your least favorite food on the trip? Oatmeal by a million miles. Have you eaten oatmeal <laughs> since you've gotten back, by the way? Do you know what? Um, I, I still eat it every Wednesday at a networking group meeting I attend. And I don't know why. I guess it's like a, <laughs> Like a habitual thing. I'll so you can oatmeal. suffer. You can remember all the suffering. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole lot better done properly as opposed to out of a packet, let me tell you. <laughs> oh. So uh, one of the other questions is, what profession other than yours, the ones you've had, would you like to attempt? What profession? Um, oh, let us think. Uh, I would... Let's say you had it to start over again. Is there something you would have rather done? You know what? I, I'm the president of a child abuse prevention center here in Bradenton, and that has opened my eyes to a side of social work I, I think I might have been pretty good at. So I, I've developed some empathy, which I never used to have. Both of my first two wives will tell you. <laughs> I never had uh, empathy. Um, but I think something happened over the years, and I think I've developed empathy, and I, I'd rather like the idea of um, doing some sort of social work, yeah. So you went with the Puerto Rican wife on the third one? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Sorry, yeah. Man, you were wanting to be beaten. <laughs> She's going to keep you straight no matter what. Third time's a charm, let me tell you. <laughs> All right. What's the, this is going to be an interesting one for you. What is the most terrifying thing you've ever done? doesn't have to be on the trail, but most terrifying thing you've ever done, and would you do it again? Was this the most terrifying thing you'd ever done? No, it wasn't. Not at all. Um, most terrifying thing I've ever done was asking my current wife, it's a terrible expression, isn't it? Current wife. 
it gives some sort your of bad final, Your last wife, your my, final the wife. Current, <laughs> my final wife, yeah. Uh, asking her to marry me, yeah. Because I, I didn't think she would say yes. In fact, it took oh, so you hadn't talked chance. about it at all? No, no. In fact, she she tells she tells everybody that I'd always always said I would never get married again. I bought her this beautiful ring, and I was determined to ask her. And God, dear, that was t- that was tough. That was pretty terrifying. <laughs> That's funny. I'm uh, a big guy. She's a small woman, but you know. She- <laughs> if you could have just one super, this is another one I'm interested to hear you answer. If you could just have one superhero power, what would it be? Easy flying. I bet. <laughs> of course, flying. I mean, and but to be fair, that would that was would have been my superhero power before flying every day. Oh, how beautiful! I don't know if you've seen these things recently where people jump off the mountain in these almost bat. Are they oh, called the bat suits things? or something? Yeah, they're bat suits. Oh my gosh! I I look at that every time with a beating heart, a very heavy beating. I bet heart. you there's a few times on the trip you would have loved to have one of those. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're darn right. Yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for, for joining me. I really appreciate you stopping by. It's been fun to get to know you, and I hope the audience checks out your podcast to give the address again where they can find you. Just search for Mighty Blue in your podcast yeah. player. Yeah, um, Mighty Blue is easy. Yeah. yeah, we'll put it on the show notes for this Stable Scoop episode as well. Uh, and I think you're going to love Steve. Uh, he, I love his delivery. I love the way he does the show. And I, I the people you've met along the way were so varied. Uh, that was one thing that surprised me a little bit. I was expecting the twenty-year-olds, right, who are just um, out there for an adventure. I wasn't expecting the Grizz and some of the other people you found along the way. There's a great one next week as well. You're well, going to love him. Uh, uh, great! It, I can't it, wait. Now, is the Pacific Trail on your next? Uh... No. Um, do you know what? I, I, I've, I, one of the guys I interviewed recently. Um, he's not personal heights with, but he's got a very interesting story. So I, I was interested in what he had to say. And he's got a group together called Fat Guys Back in the Woods. <laughs> I thought it was a, thought it was a bit of a liberty when he was talking to me about it, um, and uh, and he's got a group of guys who go back in the woods on the Appalachian Trail to do about a week at a time, and he's invited me to come with him. So you know what? That's what I'm probably going to do next. Just a week on the trail. Um, I just I'd love to get back and see what it's like. You know, I'd love to do a bit of trail magic myself. That's one of the most amazing things of the trail as well, where people just pitch up with coolers full of beers or soft drinks and Snickers bars and just give food to people. So that's kind of a nice thing to do. You can learn all about that by uh, listening to the podcast or getting the books. Thank you, Steve Adams. Thank you very much indeed, Lynn. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, I hope you enjoyed my little conversation with Steve Adams. I uh, certainly enjoyed chatting with him, and I, I'm glad to call him a new friend in my life. Well, once again, thank you for listening. These episodes will come out sporadically whenever the mood strikes me. No set schedule, and I hope you enjoy them. Don't forget, you can listen to all the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com or download our app, iOS or Android. It's free, and it's easy to use. Just search Horse Radio Network. Well, Helene and I will be back next week, as normal. See you then.